Hello, listeners. What if one day I just jumped in and did the hello? I feel like it would we would suddenly be in a bizarro universe. I don't know. Let's try it. Ready? Let's okay. Try. okay. Okay, guys, don't listen to just forget everything you just heard. Uh. Hi everybody. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Tiffany and this oh is my Barbara. Gosh, hi. I'm Barbara. Nice to, <laughs> nice to he- see you all. Nice to think about you all right now. <laughs> We have to talk about the bizarro universe in which our parents named us our the other names they were considering. Yes. Yeah. Carrie and I talk about this often. I was almost a Tiffany and you were almost a Barbara. And yeah. I do genuinely think I would have had a totally different life. I do too. I know. Tiff and Babs. Tiff and Babs. This- well, if we were Tiff and Babs, I feel like it probably would have yeah, been the same. It could have been the same. Yeah. <laughs> Tiffany and Barbara only talk about rom-coms and commercial fiction. <laughs> Yeah, maybe. My grandma was Barbara. She was pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. There are cool Barbaras out there. Yeah. Barbara Walters. Barbara Walters? Is Barbara Uh, Walters cool? I don't actually know know anything about Barbara Walters. I don't know really either. Very powerful. Yeah, that's cool. Was she a girl boss? Probably. She was a gatekeeper. Sort of. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, Gaslight? I don't know. I don't know. I have a... Gaslight gatekeeper. Robot. Barbara Walters. Full disclosure, everybody. I'm very tired. Yeah. I'm not even sometimes when we sound like this, I'm drunk. Yeah. No, not yet. I'm just really tired. Just tired. Yeah, that kind of does the same thing. Yeah. Really. Really. Drunk is just getting drunk is just making yourself tired earlier. But in a fun way. That's true. Kind of, ultimately. Yeah. Making yourself tired, but then disrupting your sleep patterns, so. It's great. It's pretty cool. Cheers. Hey, yeah. Uh, poison. Poison. I love to poison myself. <laughs> um, what are we talking about today, Carrie? <laughs> uh, today, we're talking about um, indigenous reads. Uh, yeah, it's November, um, which is... Uh, Native American Heritage Month. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, we just kind of are doing a roundup of books we've read uh, recently or less recently um, by indigenous authors. And we have, uh, what, five? I think we have five. We have five books to talk about yeah. tonight. Yeah. Um, Claire, how would you feel about starting us off? I would feel excellent about excellent. that because it is what we discussed. It is what we talked about. So. And so I like I like plans. Yeah. I like it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I like when when people don't lie to me and say <laughs> I'm actually gonna start. <laughs> Take that. <laughs> um, yes. So this first book I'm going to talk about um, is amazing. It's amazing. Mm. It's. Uh, I was just. It's not quite like anything I have ever read before. Um, it's called Savage Conversations. It is by Leanne Howe. Um, so just a little bit. Of background about how it was made. Leon Howe was born in Oklahoma and is a member of Choctaw Nation. Um, and she started doing scholarly archival work about uh, Lincoln. Mm-hmm. And there's this really, the, the book, which is from Coffee House Press, has this really amazing introduction from Susan Power, who it sounds like she was sort of with the project in its infancy. And so uh, Leanne Howe was sort of operating from this idea, as stated by Leah, or Susan Power in the introduction, she says, 
Being a Native American in this country means often having a very different take on American history and the historic figures generally accepted as national heroes. Just because they're your heroes doesn't make them automatically ours, since what, what benefited non-Native settlers was often dangerously harmful to indigenous communities. So while Leanne Howe was doing all of this archival re research, she became just like fascinated by Mary Todd Lincoln, oh, okay. who is an interesting figure. Um, <laughs> and in this sort of vein of, I don't know, I mean, you think about really like popular cultural, uh, like, like lauded works in, you know, the last 10 years, we think about the Lincoln movie starring mm -hmm. Daniel Day-Lewis mm -hmm. and uh, Lincoln and the Bardo by George Saunders, which is a book I love, yeah. but it really whitewashes, it really whitewashes things, obviously, of course it does, yeah. <laughs> but uh, Mary Todd Lincoln was super racist, probably addicted to laudanum, um, and she was also, in Leanne's research, found that she was sort of obsessed with this former paramour of Lincoln's named Matilda, oh. and was sort of like, seems like she was very anxiously attached to Lincoln, which makes sense because she was one of 15 children, and it seems like she was always sort of, I mean, it's not useful to psychoanalyze people, but she was also always vying for the attention of her father, yeah. Leanne, Leanne Howe is supposing. Um, and uh, about 10 years after Lincoln was assassinated, um, she was committed to a, an insane asylum by her single living child. Mm -hmm. uh, and Leanne Howe is posing in this book that Mary Todd Lincoln suffered for Munchausen by proxy, which I think everybody is familiar with. Yeah. Because famously, like many of the Lincoln, like three of the Lincoln children died. And I guess in these letters, that she's reading. It seems like the kids always got a little bit better when somebody else was caring for them. Okay. So Leon Howe is kind of supposing that. Um, but in her mental illness, she, uh, Mary Todd said that she was haunted at night by a quote-unquote savage that would come to her every night, cut her eyelids, sew her eyes open, and then scalp her. Whoa. Every night. So basically, the premise of the book is that she is haunted uh, by one of 38 Indians that were hanged on Lincoln's orders one week before the Emancipation Proclamation was signed. Whoa. In, I believe, I don't have the year here, and I don't want to butcher it, so I'm not going to say it. It's easily Googleable. Yeah, you can find it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Um, and so, essentially, these Native Americans were hanged for killing white settlers who were sort of systematically starving, starving them by uh, refusing to extend them credit. Mm. There was also um, some sexual assault of Native women. Um, it was the largest mass execution in U.S. history. 4,000 white settlers came to watch. Um, and, a, and then, I mean, and in sort of this, like, awful coda, um, after they were buried, a doctor dug up their bodies and used them for medical cadavers. Like, just sort of this Boy. incredibly, like, shameful episode in American history oh, that was absolutely engineered by the man who we think of popularly as ending slavery. Yeah. Um, so this, it's really, I mean, it, and it, this, this book is really, like, formally inventive, I think. It reads... It reads like poetry, but it's sort of set up like a play. Um, 
I guess uh, the Susan Power originally saw it performed, which I think is interesting, and it seems like that's almost what Leon Howe had in mind. She she says that she had pictured it with like a really being performed with a really stripped down set, or like being broadcast on early television in black and white, with just like a set of glowing eyes projected in the background. Um, and there are, there are only three characters: uh, Mary Todd, uh, the Savage Indian, is what the character is called, um, and then the Rope. Uh, oh, yeah, and the wow. rope, the rope character ends up having some of my favorite favorite lines, um, and it's really it's really short, um, and it's very it's very much in chunks, um, and this is this is one uh, well, this is one offering from the rope, and this is a section called the rope searches for his legacy. I know the secret thrill of ta- tying up, tying down, binding tight, strapping hard. Lashing not to payload for kicks. I am a collar, a strangler. I float in the wind like a flag on holidays. I inspire national pride. Um, uh, So it's mostly, it ends up being like, it's mostly these like kind of dueling monologues from Mary Todd Lincoln and um, the savage Indian character. But the uh, but it's also kind of intercut with descriptions, like descriptions on of artwork on blank blank pages, almost like museum curation, almost, mm-hmm. which I thought was kind of interesting. Hmm. Um, and it's just and it, it is just sort of interesting, like the these Mary Todd and the the sort of ghost of this Dakota man um, are just sort of coexisting in in their. And he he does he so he slits her eyelids and sews them to rise and and she but they're also sort of talking at each other mm. all the time, um, and it's not so much that they're talking at each other as that they're having totally different conversations. Um, there's this really great review. Um, well, I don't know if it's great. It's it's a review I found interesting uh, from Full Stop by Franziska Lamprecht. Um, who is calling on the work of Stephanie Smallwood, who's, who studies the transatlantic slave trade, and she thinks about uh, this book as uh, representing something that Stephanie Smallwood talks a lot about, is the slave trader's disinterest in the slave's pain. So basically, the, the Dakota Indian is sort of in this moment telling Mary Todd Lincoln who she is at every moment. Like, you killed your kids, like you're obsessed with your son, you were super racist, you murdered these Indians, your husband murdered the, these Indians, but you have this sort of like liberal cloak of valor because of your work as an abolitionist that I also I am led to understand is maybe a little bit nebulous. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's even this one moment where she is like singing a sad song and like pining after Lincoln and like weeping because she, he didn't love her the way she wanted or something. And the Dakota man is just saying, "This is like, what about this thing you did? Like, yeah. what about this thing your husband did?" And she's just like totally not hearing him. Um, which, like, and I do, and I do think that like it's sort of an interesting question about the book is like, Mary Todd, the character, is sort of presenting herself as like being blameless mm-hmm. at all times. Like, she is just sort of, "I loved my children. My husband loved me best of anybody. He loved me better than Matilda." You know, I work to end slavery. Um, and so then it sort of begs the question, why Why is she conjuring this Native American man mm-hmm. to be her tormentor if she's so blameless? Yeah. Yeah. I, I just can't, like, overstate 
like how um, this. I mean, it's just a, a really amazing book with really. Um, it's really uncompromising, and I think it's. I, I think it's a really like excellent representation of sort of the hypocrisy of American memory. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's it's also like manages to be really funny in some moments oh, too. I mean, and it's also. I mean, it's a tough hang. Obviously, it's a tough hang. But yeah. like, it's. Yeah. I mean, I just I just really was so impressed by it, and I do think it's sort of destined to become. A modern classic. Yeah. Well, it's just like, I mean, I mean, we still talk about the idea of like intersectionality, mm-hmm. you know, and the idea that like, how can you fight for, for the rights of this particular group, but kind of ignore the rights of this other group yeah. and how performative that can be often. Yeah. And it is, I mean, like you said, like, obviously you have guilt hangups. Like, obviously there's something in there that knows what You've what done. you did, what you've done. Yeah, even yeah. if you aren't going to be able to come to terms with that in your like conscious yeah, self. I, yeah, she, I mean, she is. It doesn't. I mean, it presents her as kind of a pathetic figure, which I I, I think feels right. Mm-hmm. Um, well, I feel like I've heard that about her. Yeah. Before yeah. that, there were some like oh, and Mary Todd. You know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, sort of, I feel like that might have even been in the, like, Lincoln biopic. Like, she's kind of presented as, like, histrionic or whatever. Yeah, yeah, which, I yeah. mean, probably, like, well, you know. I mean, probably a being woman probably, a woman. Right. And, <laughs> like, another another yeah. level of that is, like, well, if you're sort of existing under this, like, yeah. pretty extremely patriarchal society. That yeah, and your husband has really important work to do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and I feel like women didn't get a whole lot of grace oh. anyway. Yeah. yeah, like, yeah, it's like, well, here well, and, and yeah, and like now the Lincolns, it's like this monolith, you yeah. know, but no, yeah. nobody, nobody, honestly, nobody escaped. No. And honestly, the state is never, no. <laughs> fault, like never, like you can't ever be like, no. but this one guy, it's like, no, absolutely oh, not. No. <laughs> never. I cannot no. think of a single example in human history. No. <laughs> like, We're like, oh, the state was totally blameless in this one. Yeah. Like, no, absolutely not. This is yeah. like the power dynamics at play are always going to be at play, yeah. you know, like. Yeah. yeah, I am not doing Savage Conversations justice by Leon ha- Leanne Howe. I would really recommend you pick it up. I think it is. I have never read anything quite like it. Um, I think she has really important things to say, and I think she has really interesting ways to say them. Uh, I thought it was amazing. I thought it was amazing. Nice. Well, that feels like kind of an interesting and good segue into my first pick, um, No Pimming um, by Leanne Betasomosake Simpson, who is um, uh, part of the Anishinaabe Nation, um, which is a Great Lakes area. Um, it, it, it extended both down into uh, America and up into Canada. This book actually kind of takes place mostly in Ontario. Um, but, I mean, those sort of border distinctions are arbitrary and made up by people. Um, so, you know, I feel like if it's... Um, and it was, it's a really interesting, fascinating, kind of a challenging novel. Um, uh, the basic premise of it is uh, uh, Mashkawaji um, is a person who at some point in the past fell through the ice in one of the Great Lakes and, and died. Um, but they are still sort of suspended in the ice somewhere. Their body was never recovered, obviously. Um, 
but they are still very much conscious of what's going on in the world. Um, they are the narrator, and there are seven sort of uh, main characters, I guess, um, uh, which is really interesting. It does kind of the same thing where there are human characters, but then there are also sort of uh, a, a spirit kind of characters, I guess. Um, so the seven, there's... Uh, Akiwenzi, who is an old man, and uh, they represent represent the narrator's will. Um, Ninatig is a maple tree, who represents the speaker's lungs. Um, Midemuye, which is my favorite character, uh, is an old woman, who is their conscience. Sabe, a giant, who is um, the narrator's marrow. Um, Attic is a caribou, who is the nervous system. Um, and then there are two kind of younger people, Asin and Lucy, um, who represent their eyes, ears, and brain. Um, and so it kind of, it is, it is not, the form of this book is not what you would think of when you think of a novel. Um, well, to start, uh, Nopeming is um, a, a phrase that means in the bush. Um, and it is sort of a, a direct callback to a book by a, a settler woman named Susanna Moody who wrote a book called Roughing It in the Bush. And it was basically, it was written as a sort of a guide to other um, settlers in the area of how to deal with these sort of savage native people who live there. Um, super racist, like really, really problematic book, but it was written in that time, mm -hmm. which kind of makes sense. But it was kind of like held up as this like classic of like, white literature written at a time when, you know, savages were everywhere. Um, so Nupiming means in the bush, which is, yeah, a reference to that. Um, the subtitle is The Cure for White Ladies, which is <laughs> referring directly to Moody. Um, and uh, uh, Leanne Simpson talks about how everything she has written has been written in proximity to this book, this Roughing It in the Bush book. Mm -hmm. um, and then this one particularly... Um, she says that kind of her goal here was uh, to reveal the world that Moody's white supremacy didn't allow her to see. Um, and essentially the cure for white women or just whiteness in general is to just not really address it. <laughs> so she like mostly in the book doesn't address it. Um, there are a couple passages um, where she does mention um, white people or sort of the establishment um, uh, there's one which Sabe, who is the giant. Um, so yeah, every every section is sort of told from the point of view of one of these seven main characters. Um, and in this particular section, uh, Sabe sort of remarks, things seem pretty fucked up for hu the humans, to be honest. The white ones who think they're the only ones have really structured the fucked upness in a seemingly impenetrable way this time. A few good ones get their footing and then without continual cheerleading succumb to the shit talk. It is difficult to know where to intervene or how to start. There are embers, but the wood is always wet, and the flames go out so damn easy. Everyone thinks the ancestors have all the answers, but sometimes, most times, it takes more. Um, so there's that one. There's another one. Uh, last year, Mindemuye had a job at the university advising the big shots on how to appear to change things without changing a single thing. But of course, Mindemuye advised too much in an unreconciliatory tone, and of course, they got fired. Not before they got four months' worth of Zoon, though. Not before they got free chiropractor, though. Not before they slapped the head of the C-list NDN academic department in the face for being, quote, a sellout prick, though. <laughs> this year, Mindemuye is working for themselves. Mindemuye is on the phone with Indian Affairs because they are paying for Kukum's goddamn new glasses come hell or high water. 
Um, so a lot of it, there are, there are slight references, but by and large, this is very, very centered on um, sort of the Ashkenazi lifestyle um, in modern days. Um, but it's it's just it's really cool. It's it's definitely um, uh, what what people would call uh, like an experimental form, and it's very very based in like oral storytelling traditions. And she talks in interviews about. Um, really how the form of the novel felt kind of foreign because she's a she's a, a an indigenous scholar um she studies with elders she lives out in the bush like she's like in it um in, uh, in ontario yeah yeah um and she kind of talked about how like it was challenging because books novels the western idea of the novel um which is i mean it's the novel as we know it is a very sort of westernized form um, and, and she was like, you know, thinking about like, oh, we have to have these main characters and there has to be a conflict and the resolution and whatever. And her kind of general idea was like, I've seen enough conflict in the world. Yeah. Like I'm living it all the time. I'm yeah. not trying to do this, you know, like what I'm trying yeah. to do is sort of celebrate, um, uh, you know, the intellectual processes that, that these people live with. I'm trying to celebrate, um, uh, 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 relationality she talks about and how uh, relationality between these seven characters sort of becomes a web that becomes a place and it really is like sort of the interaction between these characters is really um, really feels kind of homey and feel, mm-hmm. I mean saying it creates a web that creates a place is like it, it's such a good description yeah, of what she's it's doing really, that's really beautiful yeah, yeah. Um, uh, she talks about the um, idea of Bedaubin um, which she breaks it down like the be part is, um, oh, I guess I, like the literal translation is like dawn or first light. Mm-hmm. Um, be is the future like coming at you. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And then da is present or home. Um, and then uh, the ba at the end is a suffix that um, they would place on two people's names after they have passed away. Um, and so essentially the feeling of it is Bedabin is the present that is the past and the future collapsing in on itself to make the current moment that we're in. Ooh. I know. It was like, <laughs> dude, I watched this talk and it was fucking incredible. Um, it, it's funny because I read, I read like half of this book back in April mm-hmm. and then set it down as I often do mm-hmm. um, and then picked it back up recently and re like started from the beginning again. And it's really it's just inc- it's it's really incredible. Um, there are no gender pronouns through the whole thing because I guess in in the language they don't use gender pronouns. Um, uh, it's uh, there are lots of untranslated words that are just in there the way they're supposed to be used, mm-hmm. but it's not like blah blah, which means this. Yeah. You know, it's just like no, it's this is just the word for it. You know, mm-hmm. figure it out if you want to. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, it's the construction of it is um, like cyclical or circular. So in theory, you could pick it up at any point and start reading it, and then go back oh. around to the beginning, um, which is really interesting. That is fascinating. Yeah, it is. Um, it's like like musicality is very central. So like sound, rhythm, repetition. Um, uh, she talks about song being a source of knowledge and kind of like trying to structure it in that way. There's also, mm-hmm. she's sort of into interdisciplinary. So um, along with this, there's a musical project um, called the Nupiming Sessions, which you can find on Bandcap, which I actually listened to. Mm-hmm. And it's 
amazing. No. Like I would like totally implore people like don't you don't have to go pick up the book right now, but yeah. if you like look that up, you will want to read the book. It's beautiful. Her sister did all the composition of the music and it's like her reading certain sections over this this really beautiful soundscape that her sister has created. It's it's incredible. Like it's a, it's an art project I think before before it's a novel you know I feel mm -hmm. like going into it like it's just sort of your normal run-of-the-mill novel is not going to work um, which is interesting because I read I read a lot of sort of um, like official reviews you know from people who do it for a living and then I also do the thing where I go on to like Goodreads or wherever mm -hmm. and read what like other people and there are some people who are like this is amazing and beautiful and there's so many people who are just like I don't get it. This isn't a real novel. Like, this is, she doesn't know. This author clearly doesn't know what a novel is. I mean, is. and that was across sort of institutionally sanctioned ones mm -hmm. and Goodreads, yeah. too. Yeah, it was mostly Goodreads. I, I feel like the, the institutionally... Goodreads just feels like such, such garbage. It yeah. really is. I go, like, every time I love a book, I don't do it when I hate When I don't like a book, I don't care. But, like, when I yeah. love a book, I'm always just like, what are all these assholes saying about this book that I love? And yeah. it's so funny sometimes. And it was just so... I mean, honestly, I think it is... It is kind of a challenging book. Um, it's not even that challenging. You just have to kind of let it be what it is. Yeah, you, you know, mean, like yeah. And it's beautiful, and it's it's true. There are a lot of. It does not center whiteness. Like yeah. it's not making space for. It's not like okay, white people. Let me let me explain to you how this works. Mm -hmm. You know, it's very much like, no, this is. This is just these snapshots of these people's lives, and it's beautiful. I mean, she, uh, Leanne talks about how she wanted to focus on joy. She wanted to focus on resistance and drive and, like, persistence in spite of this sort of mm -hmm. system that is constantly, like, whittling away. And it's, it, it's the same thing. There are these really funny moments in it where... Um, I mean, she, she talks about all of the characters on some le level being kind of trickster characters. Mm -hmm. Um who is a, a old lady, she's always kind of like stomping around, talking to herself all the time. And, and the narrator kind of says like, I, like sort of posits like maybe it's from the, the residential school days or mm -hmm. when she wasn't allowed to talk. So it all just backed up and yeah. now it's all coming out. <laughs> um, yeah. But she like, she has this thing where seasonally she goes to Ikea and does like these ceremonies in the Ikea where she fasts <laughs> all day and she walks around like <laughs> saying certain words and like she sages the parking lot. And then at eight thirty at night, she has $1.99 meatballs, you know, and um, or like, she's just like, she's all about bargoons and she like, clips coupons and goes and buys like tarps for sale or whatever and at the beginning of it you're kind of like oh this is just this like this old lady who's just rampaging through and like not taking any shit off of anybody but then later it's like she's buying these tarps to distribute because tarps can be tents tarps can be blankets tarps can be you know like and it's like this idea of like community and this idea of preserving what matters mm -hmm. um uh the spiritual world spiritual world is very much real and you know, these, these different spirits, you know, the, the caribou and the tree, like the tree travels around, you know, and it's, it's, you have to kind of just, I don't, you have to just believe, but you do, you just have to go like, okay, like, this is what it is. This is not going to babysit me. You know, yeah. this is not like, here you go. Let me explain to you. It's like, no, like, it's like an immersion course in a language, you yeah. know, like you're just either you want to get it or you don't like either you're kicking yeah. against the fact that it's like this is not something I'm used to so it makes me uncomfortable and sad you know like it doesn't talk about my life at all but it's really 
I yeah no and I I think I was like so I would think I well and I think I said this to you when you were talking to me about it like last week or whatever but I mean if it was marketed as a quote-unquote experimental novel mm-hmm. novel yeah would <laughs> yeah I guess people. I'm just like surprised at how like no I well, mean I don't like I can't speak to like I mean, I can't speak to anybody else's experience of it, but like, you know, I don't think I'm some great scholar, but it's like, I feel like you read enough books, you sort of get to be like, uh huh, yeah. okay, yeah, yeah, this is just what this is. Yeah, okay, we're doing this, great. Yeah, um, cool. We're gonna cool. do this. Yeah, yeah. like again, you just letting the thing be the thing that it is, yeah. rather than like, uh, we could do one episode this. of this podcast yeah. and it would just be let yeah. the thing be what it is, and then both of us being like, but I didn't like the thing. Great. Well, but I like better, yeah. But, yeah, no, but yeah, this yeah. thing, this thing I love. Yeah, and honestly, yeah, yeah. like, this thing is one that I could see myself, like, I want to read it again. You know, especially yeah. after hearing her speak about it. Um, it's just, like, it's really beautiful. And it is, like, a lot of, like, little sections. You know, so, like, one one section is, like, a paragraph. Or, mm-hmm. like, there are, like, poetry fragments in there. Or, like, there'll be a page that's just one line, you know, mm-hmm. and then a blank page and then two more words at the mm-hmm. bottom, you know. But it, it's... That it's, is what attracted to me originally. Yeah. Is I think that just like flipping through and being like seeing the way the text laid on the page yeah. felt exciting. It, yeah. it was really, it was a really pleasant, really nice. And honestly, like, I don't, I don't understand the sort of rejection of the form because it looks different on a page. It isn't like super plot driven, I guess, but like every single piece. Yeah, resonates. But, yeah, you know. Yeah, like, yeah, and I guess I just like feel like it's not that different it's than other. It's not that yeah, different. Yeah. It isn't. I really, I truly feel like it's. People go, oh, the cure for white ladies. Uh oh, like yeah. that immediately puts people on edge. I know. Because I'm like, I'm feeling naive now because yeah. I do feel like that's probably. Yeah, a, I yeah. think that's a huge part yeah. of it, and the fact that there are foreign words that I don't know what they are, and there's no glossary to tell me. You know, she was like, you could. It's all Googleable. Like, <laughs> there's literally a dictionary online that has our language in it. You can just look it up. Like, look it up. Like, do a little bit of fucking work. Jesus Christ. She didn't say that, but I'm saying that. (laughs) Um, It's not that hard. Or don't. You know, like, even if you're just, like, accepting the fact that, okay, there are words in here that I don't know the meaning, but I'm going to keep reading it because, like... Isn't that how we all read when we were kids? Yes. Isn't that how we were taught to read? That's how I read when I was a kid. Yeah, Yeah. like, context clues or whatever, you know? But I feel like, yeah, I don't know. I feel like people just... People are just so damn soft. Um, <laughs> when I to, was reading, when I was reading. We walked uphill. That's right. I read barefoot in the snow. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but no, it's it was fantastic. Uh, it was so good. I'm happy to hear that. I mean, it's it's like been one of those things that it's just been sort of. I don't know. It's always like kind of on my radar. But yeah, it's like never quite the right time. I think it's worth. But. It's worth when it is the right time. It's worth your time. Okay. Yeah. It's it's definitely. Highly recommended. Well, maybe by maybe me. it's the right time now. Maybe it's the right time. Uh, so now I'm going to talk about a book called Perma Red by Deborah Magpie Erling, um, and she's sort of on my radar because she just published a book called The Lost The Lost Journals of Sacagawea. Mm-hmm. Is that the exact title? Yep. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, Deborah Magpie Erling is a tribal member of the Bitterroof Salish, um, and she's the first indigenous director for the creative writing program at the University of Montana. Oh, I didn't know that about her. Yes, she is. And I also, like, have always 
I, I think Sharma Shields went to the University of Montana for mm-hmm. an MFA. Is that yeah, true? Yeah, I'm pretty sure. Yeah. yeah. And I um, am sort of always like, oh, they went to, you know, like, it seems like they're turning out good work. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. Um, but she, uh, she grew up in Spokane. Apparently. Oh shit! I didn't know that yeah, either. Yeah, no. I, yeah, so she. I guess she dropped out of high school at seventeen, or so she dropped out of high school. She got her GAD at seventeen, um, and then she became a public defender in the tribal justice system. Oh, wow. When she was eighteen. Wow. And then she went to Cornell, um, and I'm not sure about where her writing fits into that. Um, but this particular book, Perma Red, uh, was originally published in 2002. Um, and I guess a, a very early manuscript of it was destroyed in a fire, but I actually think it's becoming kind of a modern classic, like mm-hmm. just based on, cause it was, was it on your radar? Yes. But and it, it was, was not on mine. I think it was re-released. Yes. So fairly it was recently. Re- re-released. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so it wasn't and, on, it wasn't on my radar before that. Right. But yeah. 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 But be, like it's, so it seems like it, it has some I mean, it has some staying power. Like, so it was out on this small, small press. I think it's Blue Hen Press. Mm. Does that ring a bell? That went under. And uh-huh. so it was sort of like, it just seems like it was bad luck for her. Um, but it really does seem to loom large. Like in 2019, so this is, it was originally published in 2002. Mm-hmm. So 17 years after it was published, it was voted Monta- Montana's best love novel, which like, maybe you suck like me and you're like Montana <laughs> but then you like but so it beat a river runs through it whoa wow which that is means. a big deal yeah. in Montana yeah, yeah. <laughs> wow I yeah, mean and, many, and much other excellent sure yeah, excellent yeah. literature coming out of Montana but yeah but we all know river runs through it we all know that Brad Pitt movie I also when uh, I was a kid I was playing in the sink in our kitchen and made a huge mess there was water everywhere yeah. and my mom always so nicely even when I was just being a total insufferable turd uh, she was helping clean up the water in the kitchen which was really just cleaning it up and she was like I didn't know when they made the movie A River Runs Through It it was about my kitchen so I I think about that every time that novel or movie comes up I just think about my mom being like that's like thanks mom coming in with the dad jokes mixed up with The River Why which is the only other fly fishing book I've read see I always get it mixed up with um, Legends of the Fall Oh, probably because they were both movies. Both Brad Pitt movies. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Yeah. yeah. Um, Deborah McBire. Yeah, digression. <laughs> she beat that legacy out, yeah. guys. It's a big deal. That is a big deal, it's, though. I mean, it's a big deal, and I do. I mean, I do think there's something there. Um, it is. It is. Um, it's sort of beautifully rendered, and it's. I'm. Uh, I feel like we should have said this up top. Mm-hmm. I think everything I'm talking about today is a tough hang. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. This one, uh, this one obviously is. Um, it's it is loosely based on the life of her aunt Louise, who was murdered when she was twenty nine, um, and despite all kinds of discriminatory laws in the forties, she refused to um, pass quote unquote as a white woman, even though she she could have. Mm-hmm. Um, so this book takes place in the 1940s on the Flathead Indian Reservation, um, and it's about a young woman named Louise. She and her sister are being raised by her grandmother. Her mother died when they were children. They are very poor. She attends. She attends a tribal school. Um, she talks about 
throughout the book she talks about being hungry all the time which mm. I, I think that sort of given what happens later in the book it was really like that really stuck with me like the description of hunger yeah I don't know I yeah but as a little kid she was just like this, this like kind of spunky magnetic girl um, she always wins races with when she races the boys and she swims in like a dangerous part of the river and just sort of generally doesn't give a fuck um, but when she's nine and this is sort of this opens the book I I'm fairly certain if I'm remembering correctly. Um, a little boy named John Baptiste, whose mom, uh, Dirty Swallow, um, like, it is sort of rumored, and it, it is true, people know, it's a small community, that she practices, like, a lot of traditional, like, medicine, a lot of traditional magic. Mm-hmm. Uh, when she's, when they're nine, he blows some powder into her face. She has this, she passes out, she has this incredible bloody nose, and it turns out it was, like, love medicine, mm. is what he said. Um, and he sort of, and it might be when she's a bit older, but this sort of sets up uh, the fact that he, he says to her, um, like, if you, if you don't be with me, like, people in your family are going to die. And then her little sister gets bit by a rattlesnake <laughs> and survives, but that sort of haunts the book. Um and as she grows up, he kind of keeps showing up in her life, and it, and it feels sort of threatening, but it's very obvious that she's drawn to him. I would be, somebody could talk me out of this. There is, a, a again, a tough scene later in the book where he beats her up really badly, but I do think that Erling, again, I think Erling, I think Erling wants us to read this as a complicated love story. Mm. I like, I actually really, I really do. Um, but so in sort of Louise's teenage years, she, she ends up being kind of wild. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, quote unquote wild. Like she keeps getting picked up by the cops. She drinks. She tends to seek refuge in men. Um, she runs away from school a lot. And because of the way, I mean, because of the way the world worked in 1940, like the school and the police end up like sending her to live in like a in a, in a very racist white family's home for a year and she runs away from that. So she's getting, so she's getting in all sorts of trouble, like due to the structural forces and forces in her life. And also, I mean, again, I think, I think some complicated ideas about sort of uh, masculinity and romantic relationships. And so the book sort of like frames itself around um, the three men in her life, John Baptiste, who we've talked about, mm-hmm. Charlie Kicking Horse, and Harvey Stoner. Um, Charlie Kicking Horse is uh, a tribal, he is a, he, um, he is a member of the tribe, and he is also a tribal cop. And he's, he's kind of impotent, like he gets made fun of a lot, he's like pretty, it is very clear he is low on the totem pole, he also like can't quite ever seem to do anything right. He also mm. has a really inappropriate fascination with Louise, mm. who is beautiful, and he's known her since she was a child, and there's, like, they, he obviously has really, like, sort of, mi- like, weird, mixed-up feelings about her. Yeah. Um, and it's, like, his wife knows. It's, like, yeah. harming his marriage actively. Like, I think Ugh. of him as, like, sort of a pathetic, stupid figure. Yeah. Um, there's this one, like, kind of amazing scene where he and a white officer respond to a car accident and the man's door is like jammed shut and so they're trying to open the door and Charlie is like okay we'll tie her up to it and we'll try to tie it to my squad car but he like accidentally like guns it or something so this man is just being direct like he fucks it up basically Mm -hmm. and then Louise and Jean-Baptiste 
just like appear on this like beautiful horse and John Baptiste and his beautiful horse open the man's door and he's just like and, and Charlie kicking Mark is just like well fuck you know like <laughs> um, and then Harvey Stoner is white and villainous um, and is a real estate developer and is like obviously kind of a parasite on this tribal land um, and also is somebody who um, will give Louise things. He'll mm-hmm. feed her, he'll buy her beautiful clothes, he'll show her a good time. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's also, he's involved in shady real estate stuff, which eventually has really big consequences for the rest of the characters. But, I mean, it really is just sort of about, this whole book is really about these th- three narrative characters' lives. Um, you know, and it and it is, like, Louise is sort of, she is mistreated by all of she's mistreated by all of these men I mean in a moment it just feels like she is just sort of seeking refuge everywhere where she's only ever going to find harm mm-hmm. um, and um, I don't know her resiliency is like tested and like never quite spent in a way that like feels feels really true to life um, I won't go too much into it because it's just it's a, it's a big novel a lot happens yeah. um I, I mean, I would like to say that originally, I guess in the original manuscript, Louise died. Oh. Um, and the editors thought it was a tough hang. Yeah. And I like do kind of wonder, um, I don't know, I wonder, um, I wonder what that conversation was like. Mm-hmm. I wonder what Deborah McPay or Erling, like thinks about it or doesn't think about it. I'm sure, yeah. I'm sure it's there. I looked, pr- I looked pretty hard for like, more information about that, but I just found one um, one really good Texas Texas Observer review of the book where it's mentioned. But I would I mean I would love to hear her talk about that yeah. and like wonder what the choice was there because I because either I mean because like I could see you know ten million different scenarios. I don't know. I was um, she's also a beautiful prose writer. Um, yeah, I just I just I think if this book becomes a modern classic, I would not be mad about it. The next book I would like to talk about is called Never Whistle at Night, an indigenous dark fiction anthology that just came out in October of this year um, from Vintage Books. Um, And it is sort of a powerhouse of a short story collection. There are so many really great writers in this. Um, And a uh, lot of writers who have won awards. Yeah, totally. what uh, uh, Rebecca Rowanhorse is in here, Tommy Orange is in here, Brandon Hobson is in here, Kelly Jo Ford is in here, uh, Morgan Totley is in here. Like, they're just like, there are a lot of really great writers. And the writers I wasn't so familiar with, um, I mean, their stories are great too. Um, and it has this really sweet and short and brilliant introduction by Stephen Graham Jones, who, um, if you're not familiar, it's a little detour. He is fucking fantastic i've read uh i've read i've only read two of his novels uh only good indians and mongrels and they were both equally amazing i've read a couple of his like essay kind of things um and yeah this this uh intro was just really interesting he talks about talking to a guy at a bar who told a story and he doesn't remember the full gist of it but it was someone driving at night on sort of a like a country sort of highway um the kind where like there's like an embankment so it's kind of up and then out of the corner of his eye seeing 
four horsemen just like booking it across the plains and they're all in sort of like traditional regalia and as he's driving he's like holy shit like what are they gonna do like when they come up on the street like when hooves hit pavement at this speed like it's gonna be a shit show and what are these people even doing out here anyway and blah 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 and he's like freaking out driving up like do I stop do I slam on the brakes what and then they come up on the embankment instead of like going up onto the freeway and running across they just go right through it so they become incorporeal and just like book it through the street and then off in the opposite direction and then disappear into the night Mm -hmm. Um, and the idea of it being sort of like you know touching on oral tradition touching on the types of uh, stories that indigenous people tell and how a lot of those stories tend to be kind of open-ended like it's not like a nice clear-cut like and then everything was wrapped up the end you know like it's like that's just not how our our traditions of storytelling go um and how that lends itself um really well to sort of a a, like dark fiction or or horror um which is kind of what Stephen graham jones does but in just like such a smart way um and yeah so it's it's a collection of many short stories um and every single one of them is super solid and it kind of they kind of run the gamut of um uh of subject matter um i mean there's stuff that's sort of pretty straightforwardly horror um there's stuff that uh there's a short story um about a woman who uh is passing um and marries this man who is pretty rich and uh accidentally lets it slip in mixed company that she is um, an Indian and uh, oh shit like his mom finds out and it is <laughs> so horrific but in not in a like oh, supernatural horror it's just in a like oh fuck like this feels <laughs> who are these people too real yeah like yeah. this feels so and it's like it's it's such a good one um, which it is uh, let me tell you I'm just gonna tell you which one it is um, White Hills oh it's it's the Rebecca Rowan horse one. Oh, oh there yeah. we go yeah that math yeah. checks out um Oh man, it was so good. Um, there's stuff sort of about like generational trauma. There's stuff about mental illness. Um, there is one that's kind of about this like weird, really unhealthy sort of summer fling between um, an indigenous man and this like this white guy that shows up and is just like like oh yeah, I like Indians, you know. Um, mm-hmm. And then it just takes a really dark turn. Um, it's it's like it's really great actually um and yeah like there there isn't one that i read that i'm i'm slowly learning how to read short story collections yeah (laughs) and then in that you can pick it up read one put it down kind of think about it you know you can skip around and be like i'm gonna read this one right now um which i'm trying to adhere to instead of like it's not novel rules i don't have to just plow through the whole thing i still i still read it's really hard not to i had to make a conscious decision not to um but yeah, it was really great. The first story in the collection uh, gave me a full-on nightmare right after oh, I read it. No I read way. it before bed and then went to sleep. It was fine. And then like had a, one, a nightmare where I was just like, <gasps> like the waking up and being like, oh, like your heart's racing. Yeah. And you're just like, ah. I know that's not real, but also <laughs> maybe it is. <laughs> it was so good. I told uh, my, my book group is also reading this one now. Um, and I told them about that. And the consensus sort of around the table was like, well, if it gave Carrie a nightmare, like, <laughs> <laughs> like yeah, it legitimately did. Um, but yeah, I don't know. They're just all like, I don't know. They're just all really good and really interesting and, and inventive, but they all sort of speak to 
I think, uh, like, specifically to sort of indigenous experience um, in a way that also feels very accessible and is sort of universally creepy. And I think that that is probably really... Um, I don't know. I mean, I, I, I'm sure that different audiences, you know, receive it in different ways. But I think, like, sort of a, a, a white person who is has not dealt with a lot of these sort of institutional issues or, um, you know, racism issues or, you know, like, whatever. Um, I feel like looking at it through horror is a really interesting lens. Well, it's the same thing. I mean, it's the same thing with Mariana Enriquez yeah. and Fernando Mel- That's what yeah. I kept thinking about. It's yeah, like, totally. Because you and I... Well, were we even talking about this? Like, it's... Were we even talking? We were talking about this, <laughs> I think. Um, that was not the inflection I meant, was the point of that. But, yeah, I mean, it's it, like it... We were talking about how a lot of indigenous writers, a lot of popular indigenous writers right now seem to be gravitating more towards horror. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which, math checks out, yeah, I think. Yeah, it totally yeah. does. Yeah, well, I mean, because you're tackling horrific things, and, like, why not use sort of a, a, I mean, for lack of a better term, like a supernatural lens to really sort of, like, define the thing for people who can't directly relate to the thing, you know? And I think that's true of, like, you know, Mariana Enriquez, when we were talking about her share of night, it's that same kind of thing where it's like, I don't know what that's like. Like, how, how can you frame this in a way that someone who's never had to deal with these really like mm-hmm. deep dark horrific things like how do you convey to them you know and I think sometimes when you're just straightforward like this is what happened like people's brains are like no I can't yeah. I can't process this like yeah. it's just so foreign and so terrible but if it's like oh hey there's the you know like we're slipping if things in but like it's also in. Yeah, yeah yeah exactly um and I think it it does a really great job of that and it's also really entertaining I mean we're just off of of spooky season now and it's like I know I always do spooky season a month too late yeah because I'm like get done with October and I'm like I didn't do anything spooky yeah <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why that is but it happens um but it's great it's just really I mean it's getting a lot of attention it's been on our bestseller thing for like a month now sweet PMBA bestsellers um and for a reason I mean it's 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 definitely well deserved and yeah and again uh Still, shout out to Stephen Graham Jones. He's got a new graphic novel out called (laughs) Earth Divers Kill Columbus. And it is set in 2112. Um, There has been, like, massive cytal collapse, uh, eco bullshit going on. And there is an enclave of indigenous people who have survived it all and have also somehow figured out time travel. And so they're looking back on human history and trying to figure out where it really, really, really went sour. And they're like, it was America and it was Christopher Columbus. Oh so they <laughs> send people back in time to kill Christopher Columbus. Like it's so perfect for a graphic novel. The artwork in it is really great too. Like it's I just, know it's so fun. I think I, cause it's in one of my catalogs, mm-hmm. right? Did I, yeah, I, I think, think so. I, I think I hit like 30 yeah. and then I was <laughs> like, Okay, okay a lot, like, but not quite that yeah. many. <laughs> 30, for, for those of you who don't work in bookstores, yeah. 30 is a lot of copies of books. Like, it doesn't sound like it necessarily, but like, yeah. yeah for, be, for a first order, yeah, it and, a lot. And for a graphic novel, too. Like, yeah. We're not like a, a graphic novel store. They're kind of a hard sell sometimes. Because people still have this idea that graphic novels are not real books, you know. It's okay. Just it's not. Just, just read, read just what you want to read. Read what you like. Yeah, but I was like... 
we, known quantity mm-hmm. for us at Auntie's Bookstore, and then that super, yeah, like, it's just, so like, fun like, premise. Yeah, such a yeah. great, just the title, Earth Divers Kill Columbus. Like, yeah. It's like, what? Uh, okay. The cover is really Tell good, Tell me more. It, the cover yeah. is great. Yeah, yeah, the whole package. I mean, that whole thing is great. And yeah. I, I mean, I don't know. Stephen Graham Jones is just worth it. Yeah. Always. He's very good at what He's he does. very good. He's very smart. He's very dashing looking. Yeah, he, he is very handsome. He's very handsome. Doesn't hurt. We were, at, we were at this trade show in Seattle, and this guy was given a pitch for a book, and he was just like, I don't even remember the book or the author, but he was like, oh yeah, and also she's a beautiful woman. You know, like she's just a, a stunner to look at, and you know, doesn't hurt. And we were just like cracking. Up, like funny. just so, like okay, so not to pull one of those. Not to pull. Well, but so the last book we're going to talk about today is called Thunder Song, which comes out in March. It is by Sasha Takshablu the Point, who is a coastal Salish woman um, currently residing in Tacoma. Mm-hmm. I think. I think so. She talks a lot about it. So it's uh, personal essays. Um, author, she, of red author of Red yeah. Paint, yeah. Um, Memoirs of a Coastal Salish Punk, mm-hmm. yeah, which came mm-hmm. out last year and was like pretty, like it won a Washington State Book Award. Am I making that up? I think I think it did. I think, I it, think did. it did for yeah. nonfiction. I think it did. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So her grandmother was a linguist and a storyteller. Um, she and Lachute Seed, uh, and I learned a little bit. I don't know. We have this, like, amazing... We have the Salish School of Spokane, which is, like, a pretty amazing yeah. initiative. Yeah. Um, so they are having a lot of success, like, raising children and sort of, like, a... Like, they, they do school in um, a southern interior Salish language, mm-hmm. which, like, would, was almost gone yeah. not that long ago, which is very, very cool. It's, amazing yeah, yeah no it's like and it's just such a like yeah I, it's just it's just very cool to learn about um and so the salish peacher people comprise four major groups uh the new hulk the coast salish the interior salish and that would be to the best of my knowledge uh like the where louise and deborah magpie erling's book mm. uh that would be Sort of her group of people, okay. and the this I'm not totally sure I'm pronouncing this correctly, but the Samasan, um, and they each speak one of the Salishan languages, um, and among there among the four major groups of Salish people, there are 23 documented languages, and mm. at least five of these languages are no longer in use, mm. uh, and so there are. F- Based on my sources, it seems like there are four southern interior interior Salish languages and 22 coastal Salish languages. So she's got all that to say. She's got like a pretty cool, like like a you know like a pretty cool uh, ancestor, like a pretty cool family member to just like be. I don't know. I like I just like something about language and the idea of a language being dead is just like so heart-wrenching it is it's just like fundamentally so sad because it's like i mean that's like the first thing Mm -hmm. you know like that's like the first form of communication and like the oldest form and like the thing that like yeah it's just so fundamental no it's so fundamental to the way we experience 
everything. Yeah, totally. I mean, and just, yeah, and language is so specific, and mm-hmm. it's, yeah. So, um, so that's, like, I mean, the book isn't about that. I think that Red Paint, which I also read, um, deals more in that. Um, this is an essay collection, um, and, I, and I, what I was drawn to most about it was... Um, it was essays about her relationship with punk music, mm, mm-hmm. uh, like not not exclusively, but those were the ones I tended to, I tended to be most interested in. She also talks about growing up, um, like her childhood, bonding with people, uh, bonding with indigenous people from other localities, like she, um, like Julian Aguan, who is um, a environmental uh, environmental activist and lawyer, who we did an event with, yeah. living in Guam, asked her to like drop off a petition to the Amazon headquarters. Yeah, um, yeah. So um, you know, in her uh, in her early life, like growing up, her family didn't have a lot of money. They moved around a lot. She ran away a lot as a teen. Um, she uh, does a lot of work. Um, she does a lot of work for um, to advocate for survivors of sexual abuse, mm. which she was unfortunately a victim of. Um, and so these essays deal with that, and I would just like to highlight some some sort of some things that stuck out to me in this collection. Mm-hmm. Um, and the first one, uh, so was a and she talks a lot about how there just seemed to be no space for her in punk as an indigenous woman. She was the only one who t- who was looked like her in the crowd, which Hanif Abderrakeep talks about a lot in yeah. his in his collection about growing up Muslim and black in the Midwest. Yeah. Oh, too. He's Ohio, right? Yeah. 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 Um and wow. just like the yeah, the restaurant the is restaurant is getting tonight. Yeah. <laughs> Apologies for that, dear listeners. Yeah, but. I mean and, and it is like really it, I mean and she really points out this this dichotomy sort of masterfully because we like do so associate the west side of Washington with punk mm-hmm. and with grunge. Yeah. But like who was there first? Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah, that's so they're like so the point. I mean and so the punks the punks feel sort of entitled to this to this region mm-hmm. and then she, here she is like a coastal Salish woman yeah like yeah there's like this amazing amazing scene um, in an essay she has about encountering Riot Girl like Ooh. a Riot Girl as mm-hmm. um, as a survival of child, childhood sexual abuse and sort of feeling like these women were they were singing about rape yeah I mean and the, I mean it felt like I mean the, she felt seen by them like I'm sure I'm gonna hazard a guess you felt seen by yeah. Bikini Kill the way right. I did yeah. when I was yeah. 14. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yep. yeah. But there's this uh, like they're like playing a show and she's uh, like in the uh, like sort of a reunion show in Seattle and she's so excited. She puts on her her like madras skirt and her fishnets or whatever and this like white woman is like kind of yelling at her when she's like going to the front of the crowd. It's like why would you get in my way? And she's like an older white woman. And yeah. she's, so there's this one moment where she's like. Uh, she looked like her clothes screamed I was there Mm. and I'm sure she was and so she goes and so there's this it's the end of an essay it's this like amazing it's this amazing moment where she goes up and she's like oh I'm so sorry you got in your and I got in your way like I know that you like really like feel a sense of like I know this really matters to you and you feel like a sense of ownership I would like really love to get a land acknowledgement from you right now Incredible. It was it was incredible. Yeah. <laughs> like fucking oh, absolute that's, like, and that's punk as fuck, drop. man. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, like if there was any question. 
handled. Yeah. Well, and then there's another one. So she was she was touring with her band um, Medusa Star, I believe it's called, and she performs in red paint, mm-hmm. which is uh, like sort of a, a, which is very traditionally coastal Salish with red red paint on her face. Mm-hmm. Um, and as they're sitting in the van getting ready to play their set, she hears these two white w- women like, just like, like having like a war room being like, we gotta get this band off the bill. Like the red paint is so culturally appropriative. Like <laughs> it's so. Wow. <laughs> yeah. I mean, but like she makes sort of the point, like nobody, ex- nobody thinks I'm gonna be there. Yeah. Like, like indigenous women are so, we're so rare in this scene yeah. that nobody even posits the idea that they're like I might actually be yeah. a coastal Salish woman. Yeah, when you think of like I mean I feel like yeah. punk the punk scene in particular sort of likes to like set itself up as being like this is a super inclusive space. And yeah. Like this is for people who would have like, you know, yeah. and like I think probably at its best it it strives to be that but like yeah. I mean that's a perfect example of how it's like no yeah no. I mean it's I mean lots of lots I mean it's bikini kill girls to the front like yeah. that was like a fucking yeah <laughs> that was a corrective yeah you know totally yeah <laughs> yeah it's a, yeah. I, yeah I mean again it's like the Mary Todd thing of the thing yeah. where it's like yes you're doing good work in your but like does it include everybody because yeah. if it doesn't it's not yeah. you know like wow. yeah yeah. No, that I mean that was amazing. I mean then and then like the the last thing I want to bring up is like she was vegan. I don't know if mm-hmm. she still is. It kind of sounds like she might be. Mm-hmm. She's vegan except for uh, meat that is prepared traditionally. Mm-hmm. She talks about like craving salmon, mm-hmm. which is like a huge cultural sus- uh, touchstone for the coastal Salish people. Um and like trying to talk to it with her like militant punk vegan friends yeah. and them just being like ew <laughs> like <laughs> I, so i think i think she says that she eats meat prepared traditionally mm-hmm. but and and just sort of like talking about how it's just a different ball game you know yeah. and how yeah i don't know like yeah it was i mean it, it i think she hit i think she just like has a lot of um things to say that I was happy to hear and hadn't yeah. necessarily heard in the same way because it is like it, there is a way that uh, uh, I do not know a lot about even the indigenous cultures around me like that was mm-hmm. something I was sort of thinking about when we were talking about preparing for this episode it's like well I mean I live in Spokane like shouldn't I know about the Salish people around me and again yeah, I was honestly a little bit embarrassed you yeah. know so it was a very it's great to finally, you know, yeah. to do some research and learn about my neighbors. Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, and yeah, it was just great. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. I love it. She's a really interesting figure too. Mm. I think, and I, I like. Oh, I like, sorry. That's I lost my I lost yeah. my train. But so that is unfamiliar to me. But what is familiar to me? Yeah. Is like fucking bikini kill. Yeah, like, totally. You know. Yeah, yeah. Well, I was gonna like. I like. Yeah. I love the the comparison like between what she's doing and what Hanif Abdurraqib yeah. does because it is. It's like. Yeah. Oh, it's sort of. Um, uh, I don't know exactly how I'm trying to put this. Yeah. But like, bring it home to something like bikini kill. You know, mm-hmm. something that is personal. You know, and then being like, oh shit, right? Yeah. Like it's 
everything. You know, yeah. like it's it it there are are these corners that we think of as being you know, like, again, like, the punk scene is being, like, it's supposed to be sort of this yeah. place for, like, outsiders and marginalized people yeah. to come and belong, and it's like, uh, no, you know, like, the blind spot of, like, uh, no, no. Yeah, only Even if this, you adhere to these very specific aesthetic right. rules. exactly, yeah, yeah and it's yeah. just like, no, we, like, I feel like yeah. calling it on different levels and in different scenes is really yeah. important, and yeah. she's doing and she, that work. She, yeah, and she does yeah. close that essay by being, like, yeah, I was just talking to, um, you know, four queer femmes, four indigenous queer femmes who are, like, really excited about their band. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Like, it's, like, like it seems, I mean, she, she seems hopeful that the scene is changing. So, yeah. 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 She's part of it. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Cool. There's some good, there's some good books in this one. Mm. Hell yeah. All right. Well, thanks, okay. y'all. We're going to go, we're going to go get another drink. Thanks. Have a good night. Love you. Bye, Carrie. Bye, Claire. Bye, Tiff. <laughs> Bye, Barb. <laughs> Babs. Bye, Babs. Bye, Babs. You're not Barb. You're Babs. <laughs> <laughs>